before this opportunity once again to be together and to open the Word. I just thank Thee for the great subject of Scripture, the center of all the councils, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank Thee, Father, for the privilege that we have of speaking of Him. So we ask Thy blessing upon each one here. We pray for a deeper understanding as we open the Scriptures, that we might learn more of Thy blessed ways as uh, thou hast given thy beloved Son to be our Savior, and thou hast accomplished everything through his work on the cross, thou hast raised him from the dead and seated him at thy right hand. We thank thee, our Father, for this one who is the very reason of our being together, gathered in this way. And we just ask thy blessing upon this time as we're together for a few moments. We ask it in his precious name. Amen. 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 So let's sing together number uh, 132, please. Number 132. The Multitudes in this world. 
that once we are saved, what a privilege and what a source of joy it is to us. And I, I emphasize that, a source of joy, I say that for myself, to come to know him in a deeper way as he is revealed in the word. And young people, when you, when you come to the age where you begin to take up the scriptures, never lose sight of the fact that he's bringing you into contact with a person, the man Christ Jesus. It's wonderful to get together with your brethren and to discuss the intricacies of the teachings of Scripture and to go through passages of Scripture and say, you know, this is what we get here and this is what we get here. But always to remember that it's never divorced from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here in the second epistle of John, here's a very important thing to keep in mind. Now think, have you ever heard someone say, and maybe this would be more some of the older ones, they'll hear someone emphasize the fact it's not a doctrine, it's a person. That's a wrong statement. It is a doctrine. If it's not a doctrine, then what's the net result? You can believe whatever you want to believe about him. Say, well, it's just Christ. Christ in what aspect? What about his manhood? Is there anything about the Lord Jesus Christ that the Bible teaches, that's revealed in the Word of God, that if I lose that, I lose him? And the answer is yes, there is. Second John. Second John tells us who not to receive. Third John tells us who to receive. There was a difficulty, even in the days of the apostles, where some were going out into the world who did not confess Jesus Christ come in flesh. That is the truth of his person as we have it revealed. They did not confess that. They had a different doctrine. Verse 9, whosoever goes forward, this is the doctrine of development, that there is a development over time, and that today we just know far more because of, of throughout a couple thousand years of church history with all of the different teachings and philosophies we've had, we have the capability of knowing so much more about Jesus today than we did then. That is nonsense. Because what we have, the doctrine of the Christ, is revealed in the Word of God. And when God, as it were, put the period on the end of the sentence, we have what we need about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I am very thankful for the writings of many men who have looked into what the scriptures teach about the person of Christ and have laid those things out. Those who have been involved in some of the difficulties that have happened over the history of the church. I am very thankful to have those writings in the first two, three, four, five hundred years of the church's history, the major controversies that were argued out by men of God that were hashed out, what do we call those controversies? Anybody remember the word for that from your church history? Councils. The council, well, a lot of those things were uh, taken up at the different church councils, such as the seven ecumenical councils. We refer to those things as the Christological controversies. I have several volumes in my library that take up the Christological controversies. These were the issues that were ironed out. The Arians, the Sibelians, the Nestorians, the Apollinarians. And some of these things, if you understand a little bit about them and you look at church history, these, they go underground for a while and then they resurface under modern names. Most of the uh, modern-day cults that have departed from the doctrine of the Christ in one way or another are a form of Gnosticism. And we have those, uh, some of those teachings addressed by the Apostles Paul and the Apostle John. We have here in verse 9, whosoever goes forward, they go beyond what is written and abides not in the doctrine of the Christ has not God isn't that something to realize, that somebody who names the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he may not have God. I, I remember the title, uh, the title of a paper by Mr. Darby. He says it's called, The Christ of God, the True Center of Union. 
and what he's dealing with in that paper is that you cannot have a union around a person of Christ who is not the true person of Christ. Some of these issues were hashed out among the early brethren as well that have to do with the, the, first, the first issue that came up had to do with the impeccability of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say, well, we know that as, a, as God, he could not have sinned, but as man, he could have sinned. What is our response to that from a scriptural standpoint? Of course God cannot sin. But we do not believe that the Lord Jesus could not have sinned because he was God. We believe that he couldn't have sinned because he was a sinless man. That holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. He was a sinless man. Look at it this way. If I sin, it's a result of what? It's a result of my capability to sin. If Christ could have sinned, what is implied? He must have had something within him, even if it never acted. He must have had something within him that granted him the capability of sinning. And what would that be? What would we call that? We would call that a fallen nature. You see how every departure from the doctrine of Christ touches his person in one way or another. His impeccability, his sinlessness. It touches his deity. If I don't believe that Jesus is God manifest in the flesh, can that Jesus be the true center of union for the people of God? No, he cannot. So the greatest controversies uh, in the early days of the church's history were the Christological controversies. Please turn to Matthew chapter 21. And I'd like to use this as an introduction to a few points I want to bring out. Yesterday was a long day, and these are long days, and I'd like to just touch on a few points to help stir up our interest in getting to know the Lord Jesus as he is revealed in the Word of God. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 22, pardon me. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 41. Pharisees being gathered together, Jesus demanded of them. Now he is going to ask them a question. Saying, what think ye concerning the Christ? Now this comes back to what we're touching on here. The early days of the church's history. The days when the word of God was put together and presented to us the doctrine of the Christ. By the inspiration of of the Holy Spirit. It goes back to this question that the Lord Jesus asked. What think ye of Christ? Do you know that a person's eternal destiny is determined by what they think of the Lord Jesus Christ? I have read some positively shameful things about the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of them, you might, to use the language of uh, Zechariah, that come from the house of his friends. And yet they touch the very nature of this person as he is revealed in Scripture. What think ye concerning the Christ? Whose son is he? They say to him, David's. And they had every reason to say that, going back to the Scriptures. But then the Lord, he takes them back to the uh, 110th Psalm, very important Psalm. He says to them, How then does David in spirit call him Lord? So the Messiah... The Christ is the son of David. We had a man who cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. The Lord didn't rebuke him for that. He was the son of David. He was in David's line. How then does David in spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit on my right hand until I put thine enemies under thy feet. If therefore David called him Lord, how is he his son? Now, a thousand years prior to this, David in one of the Psalms called the Christ 
Lord. Long before, long before Israel's Messiah was born into this world, David in the psalm calls him Lord. Well, how can he be his son? Well, the answer is, this is the truth of his person. If you go back to the prophet Micah, he uses the expression, whose goings forth have been from of old. The one who was to be born at Bethlehem, his goings forth have been from of old. The incarnation of the Son of God, only one has become incarnate. You and I were not created, we were procreated. The Lord Jesus, on one side, was procreated through the Virgin Mary, not a human father, the Holy Spirit. But he was the one whose goings forth have been from of old. The eternality of his person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, and now we have the revelation of the Son of God in manhood, and it's in holy manhood. And this is the testimony of Jesus. This is the spirit of prophecy. Now, many will say that, yes, but the myths of many other lands will teach the same thing. And uh, I will say, I like a comment, uh, has been a very helpful comment to me by C.S. Lewis, where he says, think about this. If there were no myths like this, say, for example, the myth of the flood, they'll say, oh, well, you know, that's just from the Epic of Gilgamesh. If there were no myths, no legends, if when the Lord Jesus appeared on the scene, it was absolutely, completely different, like from another planet, and no one had ever heard of any of these kinds of things before, would you tend to believe it? No. But God makes a way. There really was a flood. And the very fact that, that there is this legend of a flood from many lands is an indication that, you know, a flood, maybe it did happen. There are lots of things that are like this. And we also have to realize, Second John, many deceivers have gone out into the world. Not only after the days of Christ, but prior to Christ, there was one who was the prince of the power of the air. He is a deceiver. He's a deceiver from the beginning. Right out of the starting gate, he's a liar. Right in the garden. And that's because he himself believed the big lie. And that was, I shall be like the Most High. Isaiah 14. And there's nothing that blinds a man like thinking that he's like the Most High. It's a solemn thing to think about. So the Lord Jesus, he puts this question to them. If, if therefore David called him Lord, how is he his son? Well, they didn't know the answer. I have often wondered, I don't like to speculate, but I have often wondered, you know, these things were not done in a corner. And here is the Lord Jesus in the midst of things here with these leaders of the people around him. And he asked this question. Do you think that there was some reason why over this short period of time that the Lord Jesus was here testifying up in Galilee and in Jerusalem, carrying on the, the three and a half years of his ministry prior to going to the cross, I am often struck with how many there were who were watching. And they were paying attention. I can just see someone like a Nicodemus, or a Joseph of Arimathea, or someone like that, just quietly going back and pulling out this psalm and looking at it. Because they did do that, you know. And just letting the words of the Lord Jesus just mull over in their minds. There's a reason why Joseph and Nicodemus came and cared for the dead body of Christ. There's a reason why they did that. 
And uh, I, I believe that uh, many of these souls that uh, we will see in a coming day because their hearts were won by this very one right here who is at the center of the, the testimony, the, the spirit of prophecy testifying to this one. Now, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, in him is the yea and the amen, as it is said. In the person of Christ, we have the verification of all divine things. This is not just a philosophy. Uh, this is not, um, it's not a do-it-yourself kind of a thing. This is one where we are brought into contact with a person. Now, um, I, I want to read a quotation. I mentioned this to a few of the brothers yesterday. I'm, I'm quite struck with this. I heard this years ago, and, um, and so I looked it up. So this is Paul Henry, Paul Henry Spock who was born in 1899 and died in 1972. And what I looked up, he was a Belgian prime minister. And um, he was one of the principal architects of what has since become the European Union. And uh, this is what he said. We do not want another committee. We have too many already. What we want is a man of sufficient stature to hold the allegiance of all the people and to lift us out of the economic morass into which we are sinking. Send us such a man, and be he God or devil, we will receive him. You like that? That's amazing, isn't it? That's quite a quotation. Send us such a man. You know, Goliath, he said, give me a man that we may fight together. <laughs> and he got this uh, young, ruddy youth and, you know, got whacked in the head and that was the end of that. Power of God. But now here on the other end, we are in such a situation. Now remember, this man, he died in 1972, so this was, this was quite a long time ago. There's an awful lot of people in the room who weren't even born in 1972. Back in 1972, prior to that, he made this comment, send us such a man, be he God or devil, we will receive him. Sometimes It's almost hard to imagine that I'm actually seeing that on the page. Will the wish be fulfilled? Yes, it will. They're going to get a man, aren't they? So let's turn to John's Gospel, chapter 5. In, in John's Gospel, chapter 5, the Lord has yet another one of his confrontations with the leaders of the people. And he speaks of a number of testimonies, things that testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have four. We have Father testifies. John the Baptist testifies. The works that the Lord Jesus did, they testify. And then the final one we have, verse 39. The scriptures. Ye search the scriptures, for ye think that in them ye have life eternal. And they it is which bear witness concerning me. Now, if there was anyone who was known for searching the scriptures, being familiar with every jot and tittle of the scripture, making sure that if a copy was ever made, that nothing was missing and nothing was added, it was these people. So he says, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have life eternal. And these are the very writings that testify of me. And he will not come to me that he might have life. The scriptures testify of him, but they won't come to him that they might have eternal life. 
Now look. Verse 43, send us such a man. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another come in his own name, him ye will receive. You know, I can hardly think of a verse of Scripture that shows more of the darkness of the heart of fallen man than a verse like this. So the Lord Jesus, he comes into this scene, he is testified to by John the Baptist, by the works that he does among the people. We have the testimony of the Father. This is my beloved Son, in whom I have found my delight. Hear ye him. And by the very scriptures that they held so tenaciously to, testify of the Lord Jesus. And so he comes to them, and they receive him not. If another come in his own name, him ye will receive. Now, there's a solemn thing about this that I think this passage of Scripture shows, and that is that the Christ, the Messiah, that the Jews were waiting for at that time was actually Antichrist. That's who they were waiting for. That was the mindset. The kind of person that was going to appear on the scene and do what they wanted to have done, it's not a description of Messiah. It's a description of the anti-Messiah. Isn't that a solemn thing to realize? Because he just says right there, if another come in his own name, you will receive him. I can't help but think that there's a governmental aspect to this that goes back to a lack of repentance and self-judgment. Remember yesterday we talked about one of the we talked about a number of expressions that are critical in understanding prophecy. One of them is this generation. Even the Lord Jesus uses that expression. So shall it be also unto this generation when the demon goes away and he comes back with seven demons worse than himself. And that was what I used to uh, uh, the expression of A.B. Bruce, moral laws require large spaces of time for adequate exemplification. The history of Israel, the history of man is a long history, but the history of Israel is a long history. And God gave his word through the prophets. We've talked about prophecy, foretelling and forthtelling, God opening up the past, explaining the past so we understand it, explaining what's happening in the present, and letting us know what's going to happen in the future, either for the judgment of the mass or for the salvation of the elect. We find our comfort in having these communications from God. All of these things were given to them, and yet here, when the Lord Jesus comes, he has to say, if another comes in his own name, that's the one that you will receive. I hardly have the words to express how that strikes me. That's a very humbling thought about the fallen condition of man. You know, we talk about, uh, sometimes we use expressions such as the, uh, the total depravity of man or the lost condition of man. But you know, every one of us has to learn that, number one, for ourselves in one way or another. We learn it doctrinally. But we have to learn that experimentally as well, each one of us for ourselves. Now, we're different. People's personalities are different. I, I own that. There are people, their minds just go in different ways than other people's minds do. But you know, we all walk on the same dirt, we all breathe the same air. And in the final analysis, every one of us lives and dies by the same principles. And that's not something any of us have any choice about. That's not up to me. I didn't make that decision. But God has set his word before us. And I have been quite amazed. You know, I've read things before. Maybe even just kind of stumbled on something before. Just, as I said yesterday, a single sentence or a single paragraph. I have some of my favorite writings that I pull off the shelf every once in a while. And some of those are ones where I can look at a paragraph and I can hear the Lord saying, You know, Dave, that is you. 
right there. This is you, right here. Don't deny it. Don't make excuses for it. This is you. You ever had that experience? This is you. And I am so thankful for the grace of God that, as it were, says to us, however, I have an answer to the problem. And the answer to the problem is found in this person. I just think that quotation is quite, is, is quite a thing. Send us a man. The world is looking for a man. How many people, they want a man. If I only had somebody. A, a brother said to me one time, this was many, many years ago, he said, uh, we just need a good pastor. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, you have a good pastor. Open the book and learn about him. If I want to know what a good pastor is, I can pay attention to the pastor. That's what I should do, first of all, if I want to know what a good pastor is. Now, tell me. Young people, what do you think? Where is the first time that we find Christ in Scripture, this person? Where is the first time in Scripture that we find him? And I mean going the furthest back. Where is the first place that we find him? I'll give you a hint. It's not in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. Where do we find him spoken of the first time? I know you've heard it before, but it's always good. Repetition is always good. Think about it from that standpoint. We have some beginnings in Scripture, don't we? Now, this is a beginning. You can't use the, you, you can't use the word... You can't uh, use words that have to do with time, can you? We are so time-bound. We can't even think without thinking about time. And so sometimes you hear the expression... Well, in a past eternity, or a future eternity, there is no such thing as a past eternity. Past and future are expressions of time, and eternity is not a thing of time. So you can't really say a past eternity. That's like saying, well, yesterday and tomorrow. A, a past eternity and a future eternity, that's like saying yesterday and tomorrow. You, you can't use that expression. You have to use a timeless expression. And when it says, in the beginning, beginning, the English word is kind of an expression of time, isn't it? It puts you somewhere, well, it's, it wasn't here yet, and, and now it's already happened. So, you know, you're, you're kind of sunk, aren't you, in a way? So where do we first find him? Don't be afraid. John 1. In the beginning was the Word. That's where we first meet Him. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. I just, I love those verses. I just love the first chapter of John's Gospel. I, I pull it out and I read in it fairly frequently. In the beginning was the Word. Sometimes when I feel very time-bound, and we've all had times in our lives where we thought to ourselves, I don't see any way out of this. And, you know, some of us, we can look back on some of those times and we sort of laugh and say, well, I was really kind of childish. But when you were in the middle of it, you didn't see any way out of it. You just wanted out. Illness or, or some particular kind of circumstances in your life that just, it was just daily pain ongoing. I want out of this. And when is this going to be over? And he was with us. In the beginning was the word. You know, times like that I like to dwell on some scriptures like that. Now, tell me, where's the last place where we find him? Maybe this, this might be a little bit, a little bit harder. Where is the last place where we find him? I, I love this one too. It has such a beauty and, and a sublimity to me um, because it's so vast. Where's the last time where we find him? The first Corinthians 15. Yeah, that's right. First Corinthians chapter 15.
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 27. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. That's the fulfillment that you have in the Psalms. Now subjection is complete to our Lord Jesus. But when he says that all things are put in subjection, it is evident that it is except him who put all things in subjection to him. It's, a, it's been referred to as a mediatorial kingdom, a mediatorial system. Christ will be the mediator. He's a mediator between God and men. But he will reign for a period of a thousand years. So uh, that's been referred to as a mediatorial kingdom. But when all things shall have been brought into subjection to him, then the Son also himself shall be placed in subjection to him who put all things in subjection to him, that God may be all in all. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit may be all in all. The mediator, that which is mediatorial will be over, and we will be in the eternal state. There will be no more evil. Everything will have found its proper place. And the dwelling of God shall be with men. There are still difficulties in the millennial kingdom. We know that because at the end, when Satan is let out of the pit, he goes and he gathers the four corners of the earth together and they come together against the camp of the saints. So much for a thousand years of perfection. So much for a radical change in the heart of man. And there you have the last instance in scripture of the judgment of the mass and the salvation of the elect. The Lord comes down, fire out of heaven and consumes them, and you have the final judgment, and then you go into the eternal state where God is all in all. Now, I don't know how to emphasize, I feel very weak in being able to emphasize the, the beauty and the sublimity of all of this, where we can see the widest horizon of our thought, this person in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, all the way to the point where God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is all in all. Now, I want to emphasize to you young people, it's things like this that really draw you into Scripture. When you get the big picture, when you, when, you, when you get to see, to some extent, the whole scheme of the mind of God as it's revealed in Scripture, that is the thing that has helped me to want to know the details. Okay, I see this teaching in Scripture. I, just this, what we just laid out here with John chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What a thing to captivate the soul. I want to know more about this. I want to know more about this person. I want to see everything that the scripture teaches about this person. Well, what are some of the things that we see that scripture teaches about this person? Now let's go back to the beginning of Genesis. Who created all? Who created everything? Let's look at three verses. Let's turn, first of all, to Colossians chapter 1. And I just have, I have, a, I have a, eight or nine scriptures that I want to read here, and then I want to turn, I want to point out a few things in the first couple of chapters of Hebrews, as we mentioned yesterday. Colossians chapter 1. Here are, here are I'm, I'm going to read three verses, three, 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 uh, three verses in Colossians and Hebrews and Revelation from three different sources that focus in on the same thought. So Colossians 1 and verse 16. End of the verse. All things have been created by him and for him. In the beginning was the word. A few verses later it says, all, all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. All things were made by him. Now remember, the word became flesh. So it's the creator that he's talking about here 
who became a man. And we come to that incarnation. Now, turn over to Hebrews chapter 2, and we'll just, we'll note this verse. The verse that we read in Colossians is in connection with his headship over all things. And the Colossians, they were exhorted to hold the head. There was a danger with some of the Gnostic teachings that were coming in where, they, where these teachers professed to have a higher knowledge than what was given by the apostles. The apostle Paul, he had to encourage them to hold the head because the head is the one who created all things. They were created by him and they were created for him. He is the instrumental cause of all things, and he is the, he is the final purpose of all things. By him and for him. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Excuse me, verse, uh, verse 10. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make perfect the leader of their salvation through suffering. So, the one who is the head of all things, created all things and they are all for him, he is also the one who has taken manhood upon him. And this is these verses down here, 14 and 15. Since therefore the children partake of flesh and blood, he also in like manner took part in the same, that through death he might annul him who has the might of death, that is, the devil. His incarnation, in his incarnation we have the uh, defeat of the devil. We saw that, in, uh, we saw that uh, yesterday in uh, 1 John chapter 3, 8. He came to annul the works of the devil. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. And the Word in the flesh is the one who created all things, and all things were created, they were created by him and for him. And in the flesh, in his manhood, he defeats the devil. I ask myself a question. When I look at these things in the scripture, I ask myself a question. Is there a mind of man Somewhere, somehow, in history, whoever it might have been, think of some of the greatest minds who could ever have conceived of this. Have any of you ever written stories? You know, you, 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 have, to read, you have to write a story for a school assignment or something like that. Or you think of people who have written stories. You know, the greatest stories, I like to read stories. I, I really enjoy coming aside and reading a story once in a while. And you know, the interesting thing is, is that the greatest stories that have ever been written in the history of the world have a lack of originality about them from the standpoint that they go back to something that was written before. Now, for example, I personally like Dante's Divine Comedy. I pull it off the shelf every once in a while. The Inferno the Purgatorio, and the Paradiso. That book is full of all of these things that we have right here. It's not original. I have certain passages here and there that I like to read, and I go back, and you can trace virtually everything back to these roots, these principles. The one who made all things, and the one for whom they were all made. The one who became incarnate. Now, the, uh, the last of these that I want to read is in Revelation chapter 4. And I think that this is very interesting, because this is in connection with the judgments that come on the earth, and the principle of government. But it's the same story. Revelation chapter 4. Those who are there in the presence of God after the heavenly company has been removed, they say in verse 11, Thou art worthy, O our Lord and our God, 
to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy will they were and they have been created. They were created by him, and they were created for him. He is the instrumental cause of all things. He is the one who set all of these things going. He is the leader and completer of faith, the author and finisher of faith, it says in the, in the authorized version. The leader and completer of faith. If I want to understand what the path of faith is, I look at him. If I want to understand the principle of headship, I look at him. If I want to understand the principle of humanity, I look at him. If I want to understand the principle of government, I look to him. In fact, there is nothing that I may want to understand that I do not find the answer in Christ. He is the center of all of the counsels of God. Now, I'd like to take you and show you, and these are, I'm doing this because these are some things I think, especially the young people, you know, sometimes when, you know, before bed, you know, you're quiet in your own room, you've got your lamp on, just open your Bible and just think about these things. And you know what you can do? Just ask the Lord, Lord, help me to understand this. Just take me, take me one step further in my understanding. Just show me. I, I remember, I remember a night. I remember a night when I was the same age of some of you. I was about, I was about 15. And um, I, I was outside in the, in the middle of the night. And I looked up at the stars and I said, God, if you are there, show me. And here I am talking to you about it years, years later. You know, it happens. It does happen. It happens. I'm really thankful to know that. So here are four verses that give us the history of Christ in, in uh, what was that expression you used, um, Eric? Uh, in a nutshell. The history of Christ in a nutshell, each in a different connection. I, I love these. I, I've I come across some of these things and I and I, uh, and I and I jot them down and I just this is this is food for meditation in a, in a tremendous way. I and it's nice because you can be driving down the road. Uh, sometimes I can't reiterate off entire chapters while I'm driving down the road, but I can think about a verse. So here's here's the history of Christ. John 16:28. I came out from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. There's the history of Christ. Right there in a nutshell. What's the connection? In John's Gospel, we see that the primary thought is that the Son reveals the Father. The Father sends the Son... And the Son, here in the world, in manhood, he reveals the Father to those that believe. So there you have the history of Christ in connection with the Father sending the Son, the Son revealing the Father. Ephesians chapter 4. Here's the, here's the whole history of Christ, but in a different connection. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. Wherefore, he says, having ascended up on high, he has led captivity captive and has given gifts to men. That's the 68th Psalm. But that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same who has also ascended up above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So there in three verses is the whole history of Christ. Connection, in connection with the Old Testament teaching regarding Christ's government. And that's a big subject that you have in, in the book of Psalms because what does the remnant of faith, what do they long for? They long for the removal of their enemies from the land and the establishment of their kingdom. Now, those poor Jews in the day of the Lord Jesus, they wanted the removal of the enemy from their land too, didn't they? But they had to have something first. They had to have the removal of their sin. 
And the Messiah that they were looking for, Antichrist, he couldn't do that for them. There was no help in him. It's quite a, quite a thing to think about. So here the Lord Jesus, he is the one who descends. He that descended is the same who has also ascended up above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now we know one who descended. He came into the lower parts of the earth. Now I have scoured commentaries here and there to try to really get a hold of this. When it says that he descended into the lower parts of the earth, is that his death or is it his incarnation? So let's move on. The one who descended is the one who has now ascended and he fills all things. Now here's another element of the Lord Jesus. He fills all things. But turn back to chapter 1 of Ephesians. And this should touch us as having been made his people. In Ephesians, we have Paul revealing the doctrine of the mystery as it was revealed to him. The mystery of Christ and the assembly. This was something in Colossians, he says it was hid in God. Again, not it wasn't hid in the Old Testament. Now that it's revealed, we can see that there were some types. But it wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. It was hid in God. And now it is revealed through his holy apostles and prophets of the New Testament that there would be the heavenly head united to the body on the earth. That's the mystery of Christ and the church. And look what he says in the end of chapter 1. Verse 22, he's put all things under his feet. We saw that expression. And gave him to be head over all things to the assembly, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, I can, I can still remember, I can still remember the evening, a conversation that I had with Clarence Lundeen where he just, he laid this out for me. Most of you in the room, you don't remember Clarence Lundeen. Maybe, maybe some of the older ones they do. He's been gone for 20-some years now. And uh, we know that there are some who remember him. Um, and, and Clarence Lundeen, he, he tied these two things together for me where he says, you see, you see, here's the one who fills all things. That's Christ. Christ fills all things. But his church is the fullness of him who fills all things. And he said, that is the heavenly complement of the heavenly man. And that is, that, that, that's a, a part and parcel of the mystery of Christ in the assembly. You know, these are, these are tremendous things. You know, some of the systems of theology that we talked about yesterday and, and so forth, um, I've gone looking in some of those things and, and I, I've just said to myself, you know, there's a void here. There's something missing here. Even when someone says that the, the fundamental teaching of Scripture is the salvation of man, that's not true. The fundamental teaching of Scripture is the glory of God manifested in the person of Christ. And our blessing, our assurance, the divine assurance that we have is only in our nearness to Him, in the place that we have in Him. Now, just for a few moments, let's just point out a couple of, uh, a few things. In, uh, you know, I, I actually have two more. And, and like I said, I have to apologize because I jotted down more. So I, this is more stuff than I can take up uh, in, a, in, in an address. But, you know, it's good to just you know, jot these things down and go home and take them up for yourself. Here, here's the third one. Um, and then we'll come to a third, third and the fourth example, the history of Christ. And then we'll come to a, a few points in Hebrews. 1 Timothy chapter 3. A very well-known verse. Verse 16, 1 Timothy 3.16. And confessedly, the mystery of piety is great. God has been manifested in flesh, has been justified in the Spirit, has appeared to angels, has been preached among the nations, has been believed on in the world, has been received up 
in glory. Isn't that beautiful? Look at all of those details that it tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ from the incarnation manifested in flesh all the way to being received up in glory, which you have there in the uh, 24th of Luke. His disciples, they're looking up while he goes up, received up into glory, and uh, 50 days later, the Holy Spirit comes down on the day of Pentecost, and we have the beginning of the church on earth. Now, turn over uh, to uh, Revelation chapter 12, where we have another verse that gives us the history of Christ in, you might say, in a dispensational way. Dispensational aspect. Revelation 12 and verse 5. This is the, uh, the woman clothed with the sun. It says, She brought forth a male son who shall shepherd all the nations with an iron rod. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Now, I really I like that verse because there within just a few expressions, we see another instance of the person of Christ. She brought forth a male son who shall shepherd all the nations with an iron rod. Well, was the Lord Jesus a shepherd when he came here? Yes, he was the good shepherd. And he was gathering them together, preaching the gospel to them, gathering them together. And we know that uh, after his death and resurrection, he was going to gather together all of the children of God into one. We even have a prophecy from a wicked man, Caiaphas, about that. And uh, he went back. He went back. He was caught up to God and to his throne. And we see him absent. The king is absent. The one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron in the days of the kingdom of heaven on the earth, he is absent. And that expression, kingdom of heaven, is an allusion to the book of Daniel, where you have the God of the heavens. Nebuchadnezzar had to learn that the God of the heavens ruled. And Nebuchadnezzar, even though he was a king over a great empire, in the, in the 27th of Jeremiah, the Lord says, it's my servant, Nebuchadnezzar. He forgot that he was a servant, didn't he? And so the Lord had to deal with him. And uh, I'd like to think that the, the Lord's dealing with him was, was effectual. So we'll find out in the coming day. So turn over to um, Hebrews chapter 1. And I just want to make a few brief comments about the first two chapters of Hebrews relative to the person of the Lord Jesus because he is the great theme of this book. I think you have about 13 times in the book of Hebrews the word better. And in the Lord Jesus and the work that he has accomplished, we have that which is better than the angels and Moses and the entire uh, sacrificial system. Uh, Mr. Kelly refers, I like an expression he uses, he talks about the Old Testament, that what uh, Israel had with the whole sacrificial system was, was, um, was an abstract, typical system. And he talks about that in his introductory lectures on Leviticus, I believe it is. And it's some very helpful comments about the system that the Lord set up in Israel, and, and as it was brought out, these things that were written aforetime, they were written for our learning. Who has the opportunity to learn from these things? The Old Testament, the Jews in the Old Testament, or the Christian? The Christian is the one who has the opportunity to learn. These things were written for our learning, and uh, uh, that we might have the comfort of the scriptures and have hope and so forth. Now, I just want to make a few comments about Hebrews chapters 1 and 2. I don't have to read these because I know that you all read these two chapters. So, in Hebrews chapter 1... He is greater than the angels. And what is emphasized in this chapter? His deity. Now, um, you, can, you, can go down, you can go down through this chapter and you can see the different Old Testament scriptures that he uses to show the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is greater than the angels. And you can just go down through this and you can see what a contrast it is to the angels. But uh, there is a, there's a, a verse in here where it says, it's verse 6, 
where he says, again, when he brings in the firstborn into the habitable world, isn't that, you could write that theme right over the Bible. The Bible tells us about the bringing in of the first begotten into the world. Without that, what, what is a book? It might tell you how to live your life, it might explain some things to you, it might give some history, but this book sets forth everything centered in this person. And I don't know how to emphasize that enough. The Bible gives us the bringing in of the first begotten into the world. And you could say, that's the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, he brings in the first begotten into the world. We see him in some of the images of his humiliation, and so forth. But in Revelation 19, chapter, uh, chapter 19, verse 10, is the verse where we said that uh, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What's the next verse? The white horse rider comes in with the hosts of heaven. That's the beginning of the day of the Lord. That's when, he, that's when he comes. And you saw that on the chart. You have that chart in your handout where the Lord Jesus comes. And uh, uh, Eric talked about how in the 24th of Matthew, in the, in the Olivet Discourse, you have, you have uh, three divisions of the tribulation there. You have the uh, seven year of Daniel's 70th week. You have the beginning of sorrows, the beginning of throes. Revelation chapter 6, you have the seal judgments. And then you have the great tribulation, or the time of Jacob's trouble, or Daniel says, the time of distress such as has never been on the earth. And then towards the end, you have the beginning of the day of the Lord, when he comes. And the day of the Lord is the day of judgment, and it goes all the way through until the cleansing of the heavens and the earth, because Peter says, in the which the earth shall be cleansed with fire, and so forth. You can, you can look at that in Peter. So, in Hebrews chapter 1, we have an emphasis upon his deity. He is greater than the angels. And then, I, I love this, in the, uh, in the uh, second chapter, now we have his humanity, and he takes a place a little lower than the angels. So see how the angels figure in Hebrews chapters 1 and 2 in connection with the deity of Christ, and the humanity of Christ, and it shows us the place that he took when he became a man. He did not set aside his deity, as some have falsely said, but I like the way that it's been put, that there are elements of the glory that were not readily visible in him, but, as Mr. Bellet says, his moral glory could never be hidden. And I like to see in the Gospels, and, and then even in the book of Acts, but particularly in the Gospels, the hearts that were touched. When they saw this man who had uh, no beauty that we should desire him, in the language of, of, uh, of uh, Isaiah 53, and other expressions, he was so marred, he was bruised. When we see the Lord Jesus, who would think, that he who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron would be sitting there, weary from his journey, at a well in Samaria, waiting to talk to the kind of a woman that came up there. Who would think that that would be the one who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron? And yet God gives us that picture. And, you know, I'd like to say, and, and this is a good thing for us to learn, to keep in mind when we're younger, is that God will always, he will always humble the pride of man. He may send you a message. He's done the thing, he's done this with me. He may send you a message by an unexpected means sometimes that will just, it will put you down enough so that you might be in a state to be able to hear what he has to say to you. You know, the Lord will do that. And he's, he's done that to me. And then again, uh, again the, uh, the quotation from, uh, from uh, A.B. Bruce, I, re I really like this, that, uh, again, it is to be observed that the Christian sobriety, sobriety, Paul talks about taking these things up in a sober way. The Christian sobriety of maturer years is the result of self-control and the study of the scriptures 
in youth. I was not raised having the, having the Bible freely open before me, but I am thankful that by the age of uh, 20, the Lord impressed upon me that this is the book that you need to study. You know, get busy. This is the book that you need to read. And uh, those of you who have been raised in a Christian home, you've had this all of your lives, there is an aspect in which that expression, familiarity breeds contempt. And we've seen it over the years sometimes. You want to just stay fresh in your soul with the Lord Jesus. Learn the Lord Jesus in the scriptures. That's very important. I hope that these things that we're talking about here are an encouragement to you to do that. But make sure that, uh, that when you read, that you don't have it uh, divorced from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to see young people who want to get into the scriptures. But remember, the Lord is going to use these things to bring you near to himself. Now let's just pray. Father, we thank thee for this privilege and this opportunity once again to speak of the Lord Jesus. We just thank thee for thy great love that would give us the written word, that would reveal to us the living word. And we just pray for a growing in nearness to him for each one here. We do thank thee for these few days together. And just pray for blessing upon each one here. We think especially of those who are younger in the faith, that they might uh, take up an interest in these things and, and lay hold of them for themselves. We just thank thee, Father, and pray all of these things, giving thanks in the name and for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.